0: Life. Life, learning, learning. Leadership. leadership, the long lounge. Yo, welcome back to the Llama Lounge, a dialogue on all things life, learning, and leadership. This is Joe Bogdan, and I have another fantastic guest in the lounge with me today. Lawyer, management consultant, tech executive, strategist, high-performance coach, and CEO of Leave Law Behind, Casey Berman. Welcome to the lounge, Casey. How are you? Uh, Joe, it's
1: great. Thank you. It's an honor to be here. Really, really happy to be here. and Thank you. Big thank you.
0: Oh, man. I'm, I'm super grateful that you're on as well. Um, I know we connected a while back and um, just the conversation we had before, I got so much just insight from that. And I've been excited about this conversation coming up. So thank you for coming to the lounge.
1: Oh, thanks for having me again. I'm I'm excited to be here. Let's let's dive in. I'm so happy to be here.
0: Oh, yeah, absolutely. I know this conversation isn't gonna go in a lot of different directions. <laughs> and I and you know, I'm excited about that. Um, but before we get started, I was wondering um, can you tell everybody where you're at and how things are in your neighborhood? Because you know, things are a little bit different across the world right now.
1: They are. They are. I'm in San Francisco, California, where where I'm born and raised. I live here with my wife and, and two kids. Uh, my, my parents are here. So we live, if anyone knows the city, we live on, on Mount Davidson, uh, that big hill Mm -hmm. near twin peaks, kind of in the middle of town. We, we can see the Pacific ocean. It's gorgeous today. So we're here in the city. It's, um, you know, we're safe. I'm just happy. We're safe. My parents are safe. They got the vaccine. And so it's, uh, it's, it's all good. I'm appreciative of of kind of the boring safe life we have, Mm -hmm. but it's, uh, you know, it's weird. San Francisco, be, you know, bustling city tech. I mean, it was going crazy March of uh, 2020, and then everything shut down, and, and San Francisco's been hit. Downtown is still a ghost town. Mm-hmm. Um, we're all working from home, and everyone's busy, but but um, we're slowly opening up, But uh, but I'm here, West Coast, California yeah you know
0: because um i'm I'm normally stationed in Northern California over at Travis Air Force Base, which is kind of in the bay Area ish yeah, but um, and I remember going to the city a lot, and just the traffic and everything else used to make it such a pain to go over there. And I can only imagine what it looks like right now, just being able to walk down in the wharf and everything. Uh, yeah, i I can imagine that city not being just bustling the whole time.
1: It, you, it's, it's really hard. I mean, as a local going downtown, we don't, we're pretty much home or in the neighborhood. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I mean, you find parking. It's mm-hmm. it's like zombie apocalypse afterwards. Right. You know, you're like, there's parking everywhere and there's right. no lines. You know, San Francisco is exciting and fun and bustling, mm-hmm. but the parking was horrible, the mm-hmm. lines, the traffic, you know. So there's definitely that's kind of a silver lining out of all this is mm-hmm. you get to enjoy your city in a different way. But, you know, there's, there's restaurants are closed and people are yeah. hurting and uh, it, it's tough. I mean, we'll come back. San Francisco will bounce back as all the big cities, as as we all will. I mean, USA and and the globe. Everyone's resilient. We'll move on, and um, I think I think people know that. Even though we get a lot of a lot of dark news that it's the end of the world, but I'm I'm sure we're gonna we're going to bounce back hopefully better than we were before more conscious more aware mm-hmm. of the the environmental toll we've been having on on the world and so on there's a lot that we can learn from this but i am excited that we're going to we're going to bounce back so
0: yeah me too and you know and history does tell us that we'll bounce back and i think um you know we were just talking a moment ago about perspective and um and i was just thinking about I don't want to downplay anything that's happening out, of course, but I, I do. Um, I'm a big fan of stoic philosophy, and I study a lot of the things that happened before. And, you know, just yeah. the fact that Marcus Aurelius was, you know, leading during the Antonine Plague for 15 years of plague, uh, and then the world was able to bounce back from that just at least gives you that glimmer of hope.
1: Without a doubt. And I didn't know that. That's, that's very interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I got to look into that. But yeah, I, you know, I think we take ourselves too seriously just mm-hmm. as people um, I think everyone has right you're in 14 the year 1430 uh, look at mm-hmm. those people seven years ago 1423 same thing here right you mm-hmm. know people in 20 2021 and looking back on people in 2010 or 20 2005 how stupid mm-hmm. they were or what they mm-hmm. didn't know and so I just think we take ourselves too seriously. And yeah. it's good to learn from history, but for me, I think there's just a, a certain calm and a certain alignment that, that Buddha talked about, that Aurelius mm-hmm. talked about, that mm-hmm. Jesus talked about, you know, and All so right. you hear these sages, and there's a reason a lot of these people um, are followed now is because they they had this kind of clear aligned message, which which we can get into. But, um, mm-hmm. but yeah, I definitely have faith in the fact that we'll bounce back. Nothing really changes, and and we can learn from it. So
0: yeah, talking about yeah, just we're we're dummies like 2005. And I mean, I, I look back just five years ago, and I know I was a complete <laughs> idiot. I can only imagine.
1: <laughs> well, you know, I've I've heard something. I'm 47 years old, and mm-hmm. I've heard something that uh, someone very wise said. You know, in the second half of your life, you mm-hmm. unlearn all or most of what you learned in, in the first half. Mm-hmm. Um I heard another quote, I think it was Lao Tzu the who yeah. the Tao who said yeah. um who said something along the lines of like wise people keep learning, but the enlightened person unlearns. And yeah. you know, I, I don't think I'm enlightened enough to really get to that point, but I but I mm-hmm. am at that point in life where I'm just I'm just kind of clearing my mind of things. Mm-hmm. Um I'm keeping good things, I'm listening more. I'm taking that beginner's yeah. mindset. Mm-hmm. I'm trying not to be the like if I'm the smartest guy in the room, we got a problem, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Um, or I have a problem. And so just kind yeah. of unlearning things, unlearning certain behaviors, unlearning yeah. with you know stress, anxiety, biases, things like that. So I'm kind of in an in, in an unlearning mode, um, which which is interesting for me because you know, type A accomplishment, yeah. law school, like we're mm-hmm. supposed to learn, 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 and become that that person and uh but i'm 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 just feeling a, a different shift
0: yeah yeah you know I, I've been talking about this a lot lately with people and I just kind of talk about um just looking at the world in a grown adult's eyes you know and 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 you know I can't remember who said this I either read it somewhere and I can't claim it for myself but um you know Einstein has a version of this quote but the quote that I remember hearing was, is the wiser I become, the more broader the plane of my own ignorance I realize, you know. Right. <laughs> and I'm like, totally. yes, absolutely, yeah. right. And yeah. and and I and I was even telling my folks when I was um, I t- uh, teaching my troops a class earlier this week, and I was like, yeah, you know, I, I would say that. At some point I realized I started looking at, at the world through adult eyes and it wasn't when I was 18, right? I don't care what the legal age is, where you become yeah. an adult. It wasn't then, it wasn't 25 and it probably wasn't 30, you know, it was just so many years ago, not too many. And and I finally kind of figured it out. And part of that is just knowing that I don't know that much.
1: Yeah. And that's okay. Mm-hmm. And it's okay, you know? Uh, and I think the reason people don't want to be able to say that and feel comfortable with it, and I still wrestle is. You know, we humans want certainty, mm-hmm. the fear of the unknown, and particularly attorneys. I'm sure in the military, you want to plan everything in in a certain way and right. plan for as many. And, and we understand, right? I mean, attorneys want to they don't want to surprise when it comes to the courthouse uh mm-hmm. in the military you definitely don't want to surprise when you're on the battlefield or somewhere i mean mm-hmm. it can be tragic right if you if you don't plan but at the same time when we come back to our normal day-to-day just as people and in our own minds you know we think that threat is still there we think right. the enemy's there we think the saber-tooth tiger from the the caveman and cavewoman mm-hmm. days there and it's not but uh, the anxiety is in our in our body and we think that way and so i think become embracing the unknown we hear all of these and i think intellectually we Mm -hmm. get it emotionally and viscerally and vibrationally it's very difficult for us humans to embrace the unknown because emotionally we want certainty right we want to plan we want um and that really is us not being in the moment it's not being in the zone and um you know imagine if you think of you know i'm here you know steph curry or lebron or you think of Patrick Mahomes if they're thinking about the next play they got a problem right mm-hmm. they're in the zone they're in the shot they're focused and the next play will happen and they'll, they'll be prepared and I that's what I try to get to is a certain level in the moment I don't think the the monks in a in a temple on a mountain are the only ones that can have the moment I think we all can mm-hmm yeah, absolutely. And I think,
0: um, yeah, we talk about that a lot in the military. And I know with my team, we've talked about it is, hey, if things don't go right, or you make a mistake, that's not a big deal. But if you find that you made that mistake, because you weren't prepared enough, then you have to be honest with yourself. It wasn't just a mistake. It was a lack yeah. of preparation, right? So yeah, there, there's a yeah. fine line there, though, right? You could totally go a little bit too far with that
1: well and then you get anxious and you need to prepare yeah. and you don't you never never yeah. move but i you know i love what you're doing i mean the military mm-hmm. my dad got drafted and went to vietnam mm-hmm. i didn't I, I didn't go in the military um but you know the military you don't i, I love how you're fusing sort of um marcus aurelius and touchy feeliness and mm-hmm. and sort of this this spiritual nature and this this emotional nature and you're kind of fusing it with the real tangible structure of the military. I, I love your mission here. I think it's, I think it's great. And, and, you know, to kind of look inward Is not just in some ashram in Oregon or California Mm -hmm. or something, but it's actually it makes you stronger. It makes you more focused. It it gets you in the zone. I love what you're doing.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I really appreciate that, man. We're getting some great convo, but you know, before we get too far into this, (laughs) I I, want to I want you to tell us a little bit about yourself because at the Llama Lounge, you know, whenever we have a first time guest, Um, we ask them to share their story because we find that we learn a lot from the experience of others. So, can you please share with us? how did Casey Berman become the man he is today?
1: Yeah, thank you. Thank you for that. Um, So I won't bore you with my life story, but I always joke, you know, I was, uh, I still joke about it. My kids are kind of sick of hearing it, but I, uh, you know, I was a Jewish kid who didn't like blood. So I didn't go to medical school. I went to law school, right? (laughs) Um, And that was at age, you know, in college and age 22. But but the broader picture is, um, I didn't really think critically, At that at that juncture, at that critical juncture in my life, what do I do after college? I went to Cal here in 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 California and in uh, UC Berkeley, and I didn't really think that critically, Uh, and that's okay. But Mm -hmm. there was a reason why I didn't like being a lawyer. I went because I, you know, to. to please people to please society because Mm -hmm. it was secure. I'll go, you know, have 2.2 kids and have a wife and a picket fence and American dream. And that's just what you're supposed to do. Mm -hmm. And kind of everything up there. I had a great childhood living here in San Francisco, loving parents, great sister, just had a, had a really nice um, life growing up, traveled. And, um, and uh, but for me, I just kind of did everything right in life. Um, Not that it was all me, but just, high school, played baseball, had fun. I mean, I just had a great childhood growing up. I think when I went to law school, there was that moment. I remember going, I went to University of California Hastings College of Law, where our our vice president Harris went to as well. And I remember going, oh, oh, wait a minute. I'm not not a fit here. It was one of the first times in my life where I just said, ooh, bad decision, right? Uh, I'm not a fit. And no knock on Hastings. It was, I had to take accountability for it. I didn't really think about it. My friends went again, this is what just what Jewish kids do. You Mm -hmm. know, as I've worked through leave law behind, I also see, this is what Chinese kids do and Indian kids and Catholic Mm -hmm. kids and people from the South and people from North, all of us attorneys have that. Well, that's what my family did. And that's what Mm -hmm. you do from if you're this, and that's what you do if you're that. And so it wasn't just Jewish kids. So um, for me, law school was a real turning point. And at that point I was faced with the challenge. Um, mm-hmm. I continued law school cause you just finish it. That's what you do. And then ironically out of law school, um, I got, uh, uh, a little bit after I got a, a really good job in house counsel at a tech firm, think.com 2000 dogs running around and mm. all of that. And I had the job every attorney wanted. And then there was a, a, a voice inside of me, a courage, if you will that this still isn't for you. That was scary. I was mm. like what? I've got the job on paper everyone w-. but it was yeah. it wasn't it wasn't creative enough, wasn't reactive enough. So I left the job. Everyone thought I was crazy. This is back in 2004, 2005 and uh, just went on a path of bumps and bruises, but managing consultants started companies and then mm. um, did consulting, traveled a lot, had a family. And uh, and ultimately started leave law behind where I help unhappy attorneys to to leave the law. So I'll pause there. But yeah. that's kind of my childhood and the, the shifts I had in my 20s. That some good and some some less beneficial. But but I'll tell you, I've I've learned a lot and taken my bumps and bruises. But I wouldn't trade it for a thing. It's been it's yeah. been it has not been boring. I'll tell you that much.
0: Yeah, it does definitely doesn't sound like it's been boring. But you know, I want to go back for a moment. You said that when you're you know you're at school you realize you are not a fit. What were, what were some of the indicators that you noticed that this just wasn't right for you at that time?
1: It wasn't fun. Mm, Um, And it wasn't, we'll get to what I call the unique genius, but Mm. I wasn't, I, I, my skills and strengths Mm. didn't fit with the job description of a law student. Mm. Just didn't fit. Now I could do it and I did do it and, and I graduated. Right. But it was, it was, um, hard for me. It wasn't, mm. I'm not saying you phone it in and you're complacent and it's easy. I'm definitely right. up for the challenge, but I, I didn't really have, uh, the interest in it. Yeah. Right. So it kind of came this, and this is what I advise when I look at attorneys and, and they're leaving the law for a non-law career, um, that, that transition, we kind of talk about three things. One, if you get, um, the lifestyle, like you like the company, you like the people. Whatever it is, that's that's huge, right? You Mm -hmm. want to be around people that you like and that support you in the lifestyle. Two, if your unique genius fits the Mm -hmm. job description, the skills and strengths fit with what it is or or close to fit, that's great. If you got those two things, Mm -hmm. that job is probably a great fit for you. Let's move forward. The other areas are are the subject matter expertise. You know, let's say an attorney worked in finance and all of a sudden they're going to go work at a, a high, a cool fintech company. Mm-hmm. That's a good fit, right? You got the yeah. background. And then um, the other one is kind of a purpose and meaning. Do you believe in the company? If yeah. you get all four, I mean, talk about satisfaction, talk right. about everything, right? If you get the first two, that's 99% of it. That's great. When it came to law school for me, I mean, I don't think, I, mm-hmm. I yeah I scored low on all four of those
0: yeah
1: and I definitely scored low on lifestyle I didn't I just wasn't those type of people they were mm-hmm. you yeah and um and then from the fit so for me that's why I didn't realize it at a time I didn't realize those four elements I came mm-hmm. later and that I created later but um I was I had middling scores on those four elements and oh, and nice. it showed I'll never forget there's I was just in the wrong place I went right after college I took a tax class you know mm-hmm. I don't know why I took a tax class law tax. <laughs> And there was a problem set. I had to get mm-hmm. this thing done. And in the morning, I mean, I was a liberal arts major at college. I didn't know what a problem set was. And I'm sitting in the cafe, the school cafe earlier. It's like eight o'clock. I'm stressing out. I don't have it done. The law teacher was just, he would grill you if you didn't do your work. And mm-hmm. I see a guy from my class, older guy. He's older. He's 35, right? Mm-hmm. And he's got a beard. I was like, whoa, that guy's old. I'll go talk to him. <laughs> and really helpful. And he helped me with the problem set. He did it in like two seconds flat. Mm-hmm. And I'm sitting there going, dude. Hmm how did you get this done so quickly? And he looked at me and he wasn't trying to be flippant, but he looked at me, he's like, Casey, I was a CPA for 12 years before I came to law school. Mm -hmm. Like, if I can't get this, like, this is easy. And then it hit me. I'm like, wait a minute, I'm in a tax class with a 35 year old, 12 year CPA. And I just realized I should have taken time off. I was out of my league. And that, that, that made my heart drop. But at the same time, I remember it 20, 25 years later, Uh, I was, um, I I hadn't thought this through. I was, I was not prepared for law school. Yeah.
0: Yeah. yeah, I, I was thinking about what you're sharing there. And, um, this wasn't at the same level because I think you, the investment that you had in school at that point, I remember, um, I was, Picking an undergrad and being, you know, just being in the military and doing my specialty in um, backup power systems and everything else, I decided that a homeland security major would just make sense. So so I started going with that. And really, it wasn't too difficult for me, but it felt like hard work. Like I, I was able to, you know, score well in the classes, but I just wasn't enjoying them. And um, and then I, I did some career broadening in a social service center, and I really started liking teaching um, some some of those courses like helping people improve, Seven Habits of Highly Effective People, those type of yeah. courses. And I changed. I decided to change my degree. And I was not a type of person that really wanted to go back and do more work, but I decided to change my degree plan to social sciences. And man, when I did that, it just changed my life. Like every class. There you go. I enjoyed and I and, and I was able to talk about it every day, you know, and I was able to learn more and apply it. And uh, I was like, wow, that was that was just such a shift. But I was really thinking back and where I reflect now, what if I would have just fell into that sunken cost fallacy and been like, I'm so far into this, you know, I might as well finish it and then just stick with it for the rest of my life. And I think I, I've always appreciated people with stories like yours where you've gone this this many steps into it and then you still like, wait, this just isn't right.
1: Let's go do something well, else. That's what you did. I mean, you did a lot sooner. I left mm-hmm. after five years. I know attorneys who've been in twenty years. They're like Casey. Mm-hmm. I wish I gotten out when you got out. But I mean, Joe, you got out sooner. Mm-hmm. I mean, you had that mm-hmm. inner voice, mm-hmm. and made that shift, which I'm really happy that you did. You know, there's a quote attributed to Gandhi. I think it was a story where um, when he was uh, he was prime minister at the time, mm-hmm. and. There was some meeting, something needed to happen. And Gandhi said, we need to postpone it. We need to cancel it. And his advisor said for, he just, it wasn't the right time. It didn't feel right to him. And his advisor said, no, we need to keep this. Are you kidding We have People coming. There's a big thing. And Gandhi looked at him and said, I am after the truth, not over consistency. And it blew my mind. Like, (laughs) and that Joe, that's what you were is you're Mm -hmm. like, wait a minute. It's consistency. Mm -hmm. If Joe continues with this, because Mm -hmm. You just want to stay consistent. You don't want to. You don't want to pivot, right? Mm -hmm. But you pivoted in a good way. You shifted because it was more true to you. Yeah.
0: Yeah, and I think it really just took for me. It was exposure to something else because I just didn't know, right? I didn't know there was something. I if I would have never got exposed to something else, I would assumed every degree plan would have been just a grueling nightmare to get through um, scoring well on with the GPA staying high, but just not enjoying it. And then it, it was once that happened, it was just a huge switch. And that is something that I um, that I want to share with other people, you know, um, to, to testify that that can happen if you can find yeah. what you actually want to do.
1: And, you know, that's one thing that I, when you think about the internet, I know social media and the internet and there get a lot of bad press, but when you think about what the internet really does is it shows people other things that are out there and beyond the influencers and the Instagram pictures and all of that, um, you which serves a purpose mm-hmm. but you know having your the podcast like what you have and being mm-hmm. able to read and see these things like i just love how you can just flip on whatever channel you want youtube whatever it may be type in something type in human design type in data visualization type in woo woo touchy feel whatever you All want right. mm-hmm. and you will come to something that could potentially at 7:57 a.m. on your morning jog blow your mind
0: yeah yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and, and that's, you know, the negativity bias out there. People, we look at these things like how we can connect and see a lot of negativity, but there is a lot of positivity there, like you're able to connect. And like like right now, we're having this conversation. Um, yeah. Wouldn't be able to happen if it wasn't for social media and other connection. And, and any, yeah, you know,
1: I love how everyone's – we were talking about San Francisco. Mm-hmm. San Francisco, venture capital is going to leave. San Francisco is a dead city. Mm-hmm. Who's going to go to San Francisco? Everyone's leaving. The New York Times written all these articles about San Francisco fling. San Francisco is never going to die. The big cities yeah. are never going to die. They're always going to come. It, like, it's fine. We're going to be fine. And I'll tell you, if there's venture capitalists or entrepreneurs or angel investors who are or, or, uh, small companies sprouting up in Florida, sprouting mm-hmm. up in Alabama, fr- sprouting up in Vegas, sprouting up elsewhere, like, great. Mm-hmm. I want people and entrepreneurs who are across America to start seeing something new. Yeah. and seeing a tech startup down in in the south in Arkansas somewhere like I'd love to have the you know silicon, silicon whatever whatever you want to talk about like it doesn't need to all be concentrated one place and actually I i think it's bad you get a certain type of people in one in one part of the world so i'm you know i'm about an abundant life i think there's just opportunity everywhere there really is no competition um and when we think that way that's that negative loop we go into but um i'm i'm really optimistic about about sharing the wealth and sharing the information so
0: yeah you know that that's a great point on the abundant lifestyle and i think um you know, I share with folks because you're in the military. We also have competition within competition, right, within ourselves. And and um and and our old commander once said to us in a class, he said, you know, you think of it as competition like MMA or basketball. You're fighting against each other or going against each other, but it's really more like golf. You're all on the same course right? And you're really playing against yourself, <laughs> right? That's, and you're competing like against other people, but you're really playing golf. And some of us might have better clubs than other people. Some of us might have a better swing. Some people might have to work harder, go out there and study. And then also just opportunity. Maybe it's windy that day, right? <laughs> and somebody else didn't have that wind, but whatever it is, but you're still on the same course and you're playing by the same it's, rules.
1: I love it. I'm going to write that down. That It's such a great way to think that, which means it's, it's all in our head. And mm-hmm. when I, when I hear all in our head, for me, it's getting out of my head. Right. I mean, just clearing my thoughts, meditation, but just getting out of my head and just, and just not thinking, I mean, Mm -hmm. you know, Steph Curry is not thinking about his form when Mm -hmm. he shoots. I mean, it's just, he's just not thinking. So Mm -hmm. yeah. why can't the rest of us do it in the professional world, you know?
0: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Cause like you said, we're getting in our head that
1: terrible roommate that's in there is telling us everything that we can't do. And part of Joe, how you got in your flow state was way Mm -hmm. back when, Mm -hmm changed, shifted course mm-hmm. and found something that believe it or not, by going into that topic that you enjoyed, that subject area joy mm-hmm. that you just flowed. Yeah. It took you thinking, intellectualizing, I am going to make a shift. I'm going to do this and not that. But once you got there, the universe is like, Oh good. I'm happy you arrived right. now. And then you just got into that, that flow state with a subject, a subject matter and topics that you just enjoyed that Again, your skills and strengths and your interests fit it, mm-hmm. and then it's it's like the put it. You work really hard to put up that sail. Mm-hmm. You got the wood, you got the sail, you got it all. You got to get it up, but once it does, the wind is like, I'll take it from here, right? Um, and that's what you did.
0: Yeah, and, and I think that's a great transition to your perspective on the unique genius that you brought up. Yeah. Like so. So we've talked about this a little bit before, and can you explain what your perspective on the unique genius is like, what do you, what do you mean by that? And how can we leverage that?
1: Yeah, no, it's a great question. So just to refresh for everyone, I left the law. Um, a lot of lawyers, uh, are very unhappy in their careers. Um, they go to law school for the wrong reason, or they went for the right reason, but the practice of law is different. And when you think about, Lawyers, I know everyone goes, oh, Casey, yeah, right. Go help, go help other populations. What do you do in helping <laughs> lawyers? But you know, I really believe that there is, there aren't many other groups of people out there that are so focused, so dedicated, so smart. All lawyer jokes aside, lawyers are phenomenal people that work really hard, that can get it done. Okay, what happened is my my business partner Adam Oled always talks about how. Look, first responders, military, you guys have a stress on the front line, uh, doctors, nurses, uh, EMTs that that no one understands. No one understands. When you come to the professional world, we say that the lawyers are are at a level, nowhere near military and first responders, but from a professional standpoint, the anxiety Mm. and stress is similar Mm. in the sense that you're always on. Mm -hmm. It is life and death. If you miss a a period in your brief, the judge will strike it out, your Mm -hmm. client loses. So it's not physical death, but their case is gone could be millions. There's, uh, there's fiduciary duty, there's law. I mean, there is a lot of either or life or death type of anxiety as as an attorney. Mm -hmm. And then you got your partner yelling at you, you got you got a dog eat dog world build up from so there's all that. So that's what I do. And I help attorneys to kind of see, like you did, Joe, that you can shift. Your skills are transferable. They move into becoming the, you know, operations, sales, asset management, you name it, and they love it. Exactly what you did, Joe. So one way we help them do that is to realize what their unique genius is. And their unique hmm. genius are really their skills, strengths, and enjoyments. Hmm. What are those? And many people don't do that analysis. They just go and, yeah, I'm pretty good at this, I'm pretty good at that, but I want to make my parents proud and I want to have a, a house and I want to – That's because that's just what you do. And so they don't think about it. So when you think about your unique genius, which I'll take everyone through right now, everyone get a pen and paper and we can, we can write out the steps if you want to do this on your own. It's great for career change. It's great for working within your career where you want to go. It's great if you want to do a new business. Um, it's great a new hobby, a new passion. So the point about the genius is for the first time or one of the first times in your life, you're really going to understand what you're good at and what you enjoy, like really do a quantitative analysis of it. And it doesn't take that long. You can get it done in afternoon, a few weeks, depending how you go. All right. And then once you have that, if you're if you're a sports fan like I am, it's like a scouting report. Mm -hmm. This is what you're really good at. Right. Then you just find job descriptions that match to it. And job descriptions are written opaquely in many ways. But, you know, if the job description calls for connecting with stakeholders, being the glue of the organization, you know, being um, presenting well, speaking well, do you can you think outside the box, you know, those type of things you want to understand what your skills and strengths are. And all of a sudden you'll say, wait a minute, this is the role for me. Hmm. So how do you understand what your unique genius is? I Got very stressed out years ago when everyone was talking about their passion and their purpose. I'm like, look, I'm passionate about the Giants, SF mm-hmm. Giants, Warriors, my kids, my wife. Mm-hmm. I like running. I didn't know what I was passionate about. And I yeah. got a little stressed out. Like I couldn't answer that question. So I tried to make Unique Genius less pra- less passion and more actionable. Like, how do I actually get this done? So you ask yourself and your network. Go to 3 to 5, 10, 20 friends Go to people that knew you back in the day. Go to, fa- go to people that know you now. If you don't want to tell coworkers because you may want to leave the law, then keep it confidential, whatever it is. Mm-hmm. But go to other people. But you ask yourself and these people three questions. What am I good at? Compliment me. Just what am I good at? Um, second, what advice do you come to me for? Hmm. You, you know Besides legal advice, besides what just what advice? And then the third one is what have I done or what do I do for free? Hmm. Again, Compliment me. What am I good at? Mm -hmm. What advice do you come to me for? And what have I done or what do I do for free? Now, the free one could be you volunteered at at the SPCA or you were the person we always went to that build the Ikea furniture. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, you plan things, whatever. Um, So and as far as what you're good at, get it all. You're a great speaker. You're a great listener. You're very, you know, all of this stuff, even the touchy feely empathy stuff. Mm -hmm. You collect all of these traits in a Word document. Just get them all, that raw data. And then we do this and leave it all behind, start bucketing them. There are eight buckets that we have found, you know, interpersonal, leader, schmoozer, a networker, well, interpersonal leader, then networker, schmoozer, rainmaker, operations, keep the trains running on time, you know, creative, visionary, behind the scenes. You can see where I'm going, right? right get as yeah. many buckets and start bucketing the traits. Hmm. And you, the, you, it doesn't really matter. Like, oh, uh, someone said I'm, I'm, I'm quiet, but, but, but productive. Okay, I'll put that in operations. You can move them around. Don't get too stressed about where they go. And then look at the buckets. That's what you're good at. Mm. And you move them around, maybe refrain them. But like you may come out to be air traffic controller mm. who's, who's kind of creative.
0: Right.
1: Okay, what the heck does that mean? All right, well. Air traffic control is logistics, vendor management, maybe a COO, Mm. Uh, creativity, visionary could be strategy consult. You see where I'm going? Mm. Then what you do is once you have those buckets and you're like, this is me, this is my scouting report. Now, it may be a little little humble because you go, I thought I was good at this. No one said I was good at that, which either means you still run with it because you like it or you should maybe listen to your network. And then it's also liberating. And you go, oh my God, uh, this is who I, I can't believe it. Mm. This is who I am. I love it. One parenthesis, one fear people have is they don't want to impose upon people. "Uh, I don't want to send it to my network or they'll think I'm touchy feely or they'll say, which guy from California did you listen to? (laughs) Like, uh, you know, one, screw them. If they're not going to answer it, don't send it to them. Like just, all right, don't be a part of it. The other one is they're going to be honored. They're going to be flattered. I can't tell you how many times they'll write back and go, oh my God, I'm so happy you're doing this. I wish I could do this. I'm honored you thought of me as someone to give you this. And they may give you detailed info. They may give you just high level. That's okay. You can push for more or or get that. But then you get it. And the idea is after you get those, forget the questions now. Now you got the traits. you got the raw data of what you're good at. Mm -hmm. And guess what? You match that to skills and strengths. And just like you, Joe, not only are you finding the job that's a fit, but when you have the data about what you're good at, drum roll, please. You know what that means? That's where you add value. That's where you help the world. And when you really help the world, second drum roll, that's how you make a bunch of money. So I'll pause there. I hope that was clear, but that's kind of the process of the unique genius and ultimately go what the main result is where you're adding value, you're making money and you're in a job and a career or a side gig or whatever that you align with and you enjoy.
0: Yeah. I love I just love your process there because for one, it actually gives people steps that they can and actionable items, right. That they can do. Cause a lot of times we do just say, Hey, what are you passionate about? Or, Hey, what's your meaning and purpose? And then it does bring anxiety to people. Like, I don't know. Am I supposed to know by now? Cause I don't. Right. And then you're, then you you might feel inadequate and everything else. But I, I think that it's great that you have that process, but also that that process incorporates other people, because a lot of times you see these self-assessments and we're just not that honest with ourselves Honestly, you know, when when we get deep into it. Right. And it's great to have that 360 analysis.
1: So I love your, I love your process. That's amazing. And unique genius is a term that Aaron Ross, who's uh, the founder of Predictable Revenue. Great guy. I learned it from him many years ago. He learned it from someone else. So and what it's saying also is not that you're the only genius.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: But this is your unique genius. And your unique genius may be air traffic control. There may be other air traffic controllers out there. That's fine. You have a unique take on it. And 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 so I just love and one thing I've done, I've been a strategy consultant for many years, and strategy is really helping, giving a framework to help companies. And executives really plan and get clarity. We can go into that more if you want. But one thing that we do in consulting and a a very good consultant always is thinking about and a strategist is always thinking about the end in mind. What is the result we're after? And maybe the client knows. And we all just want to keep on that North Star. And maybe the client doesn't know, which means we, we need to do some work on what is the end in mind? What's the result that we're after? So when you think about this unique genius process, when we keep the end in mind, what is that result that we're after? It could be I just want a much better job. I want a job I love. Um, I, I'm entrepreneurial. I want to start my own thing. I want to start a side gig. I want to help train someone else, whatever it is. But I encourage everyone as we go through the process Unique Genius, as you can see, the end in mind in my example was, how do I provide value so I can make more money in a way that I really enjoy and have meaning? Great. There's your there's your end in mind. So, um, and I love that it's not just what's your passion because you're not, it's a little murky. I'll tell you, if, if I had created this whole program for attorneys and there was no structure to it and none of that, they would, you know, they would... Uh, they would have killed me. So structure, attorneys <laughs> want that structure. They need it. And so that's why we have the steps. But I also encourage everyone, what's great about unique genius is you keep the end in mind. And I think for many of us, you know, hope is not a plan. Mm-hmm. And you want to keep the end in mind that you're planning for.
0: Yeah, absolutely. You know, I just taught a class on just perspectives that I've had that I've found myself to be successful. And I say successful, not that I've arrived, but successful is that I'm happy, you know. And and a lot of it um, in the military talk, we try to talk about strategic, operational and tactical level, right? And the strategic level is like, what is your own vision for yourself? And it starts with self-mastery and then getting down to the operational level. Okay, where are your line of efforts going to be? Right, where are they? And, and once again, we'll begin with the end in mind. What are your end results that you wish to, to attain, right? And everything else, what are your strengths? What are your core values? And then you can get, easily get down to a tactical level. So how are you going to do that now, right? I mean, if you know all the other things, but a lot of times we, do, we get straight down to the tactical level and we don't know the end in mind that we have and we're not bringing value and we get frustrated. And then we live this life where we're just wondering what's going on. We're kind of participating and floating.
1: Exactly. I just wrote that down. Strategic, operational and tactical. Like, I like how you just said that. And, and I was thinking of a framework for myself about how I would do that on the executive level and, and you nailed it there. Yeah. Great. Yeah,
0: yeah, absolutely, man. I was, I, everything I have, you can have, man, because you're doing, you're, you're bringing value to the world for sure. And I think you know that's something that we don't talk about enough. Is you know, are you bringing value? And I think you know, in some ways, we have, we're in a culture where if you're not bringing value, we'll just carry you along anyway. And you know, and it's unfortunate because we we should be all looking to bring value, not just to ourselves but to others.
1: Yeah, and right, and you know, be of service to others. Help others, you know, love all of that, and you know when it comes to to value, you know what really is value. I mean, there's a lot of definitions of value. It's it mm-hmm. provides benefit. It's something it pleases people. It pleasure, whatever the case may be. But uh, you you kind of know it when you when you see it, when you feel yeah. it, you know. Um, and so, I really. I, I don't want to say I'm just out here to help people. I think it's there's a lot of do-gooders out there, and you can often, ironically, like force yourself onto people because you're kind of mm-hmm. doing it. You're doing it for yourself, and so right. um, I think I know when I'm providing value when my when I'm not projecting mm. my insecurities or my ideas onto folks, which I. Pretty much did my whole life until I think yesterday, right? I think I just learned this. <laughs> um, but you know, like when I like when I talked about the unique genius right now, it kind of just came out of me. Like I don't, I don't know. I didn't, I didn't have an ulterior met- method uh, motive here. I just, I just was really. I think my vibe and my energy, as I was saying, it was like this works, and if you want to take this, I just. Uh, wh- whoever the listener is right now, like this will work. I'd love to hear how it works for you, but, but this is a process that go and and take it and and make it your own, you know, values values, kind of a mushy, amorphous thing. Um, mm-hmm. But you kind of, you kind of know it when you're providing it and you kind of know it when someone's providing it uh, to you.
0: Yeah. You know, I, I, I can, I feel like we can take this in a couple of different directions, but I wanted to ask you this and I, So your perspective that you've gained through your life experiences and, you know, with the understanding of the unique genius, has that changed your view on how to, um, on child rearing? Because when you talk about like um, that projecting, right? And, And then you talked about how you you, you became a lawyer because you're supposed to become a lawyer, right? I mean, that, and, and, and you know, being a, a Korean American male, I know what I was supposed to do too, right? You, you do these things that your parents project onto you, their goals, their perspectives. Totally. And then as leaders, even in the military, I find that we do that often in, unintentionally on our subordinates. We're like, oh, no, you should want to attain this rank or you should want to be in this position. They're like, no, I literally want to turn a wrench all day. This is what I like to do. You know, yeah. has that changed your perspective on how, you know, you're raising
1: children or 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 leading people with it's a phenomenal question man Mm. that is such a great question uh yes short answer yes i'll tell you and i didn't change it i don't think i was smart enough to do it or enlightened enough to do it my children did it for me Mm. so i went to lowell high school here in in san francisco and you know korean chinese Mm -hmm. jewish you know and it was the pressure there was Mm. a a woman (laughs) uh who is a sad story she committed suicide in Mm. in um my freshman year sophomore year um and that pressure just because she wasn't living up to to what her parents right Mm -hmm. um so i know i know the the pressure you under Mm and in in your background i've seen it with a lot of my friends and people i grew up with here in san francisco you know luckily i didn't have my parents were pretty were pretty laid back so i didn't really have that that being said just america Mm -hmm. just being jewish like that culture it was kind of my choice i looked at it like you know, I should, and my parents put a little pressure here and there, but it, luckily it wasn't that horrible top-down pressure, but I still had it. Like I still mm-hmm. couldn't escape it. Even with kind of liberal, beautiful, loving parents, I couldn't escape that yeah. projection. It's crazy. Mm-hmm. Right.
0: Right.
1: So when it came to my kids um, who, who we had, uh, and they're um, uh, how old are they now? 14 and 11, a girl and a boy. And so they went to my Jewish day school that I went to private school, mm-hmm. um, you know, private school, pretty focused, mm-hmm. structured behind a desk, little liberal here and there and ideas, but you know, pretty, pretty traditional mm-hmm. by third grade, my daughter just gave the middle finger and was like, I can't, I'm not saying, <laughs> mm-hmm. and my wife and I, who everything went right. We went to high school. We did what we needed to do. She grew up here in California and my wife, you know, we said, what are you, what, what do you mean? Like, Mm -hmm. what are you talking about? You're not going to go to school. And Mm -hmm. then we heard there's a term called school refusal. We're like school. Like, what are these hippies? (laughs) You know, like tail wagging the dog. Right. My son didn't want to do it. And so we're in kindergarten. So we, we literally couldn't get them to school. Mm -hmm. We pulled them out. We started homeschooling before anyone knew what it was is like 2012, 2013, 2014. And I mean, it was a mess, depression, anxiety. What do we do? How do we homeschool all this sort of stuff? And Um, People came to us and said, you should give them medication. So they fit in. Mm. Um, And there was that part of like, literally the medication, which works for a lot of people. Don't get me wrong. I, we all have our positive experience with medication. In this case, I literally looked at it as a lobotomy for my child. Mm. Like you're literally just trying for me to take pills. So my child will chill out and fit in. Mm -hmm. So we didn't do that. And what we've come to now is there's actually a platform called Outschool, O-U-T school.com. Phenomenal homeschooling platform. And my kids, they, I mean, they take six, seven classes a day online. Uh-huh. We have people that are outside language teachers. They take karate. There's other stuff. There's three or four that we do. And it'll pick up more as, as we're able to go out more and connect with people more. Um, but what's happened is I literally let go. Now, doesn't mean I gave up, but we literally let go and we showed them out school. We showed them these classes and there's other things coming, maybe Mm. improv, maybe acting. My daughter who hated math, hated it. She came Mm. to me and I had to like stifle my enthusiasm, but she says, you know, we're in past in passing last week. I, you know, I really enjoy my math class. I'm really understanding it. She gamified math, and I really get it. Multiplication makes a lot of sense now. Um, and, you know, I just realized that what's a great thing for me to know is, is uh, really a p statement. I'm sitting there going... P&L statement like because mm-hmm. she took a she took an investing class and I'm sitting there going my <laughs> daughter just said P&L statement right like <laughs> so here she is with shifting towards math so all of a sudden if I were to force math down her throat in a traditional mm-hmm. way she would have hated it and hated right. me Now, this took five years. It's taken some time. But, you know, I literally let go. I gave guardrails. Hey, we're going to do out school. How about this? How about that? That, you know, change. So I've my wife and I, my wife, we've done a ton of work. My Mm -hmm. wife really leading it. But we gave them the the area into work that that sandbox Mm -hmm. and we let them choose. We also pushed a little on them and we also suggested and they're fully engaged. It's like your unique mm-hmm. genius, right? Like, yeah. wait a minute. It's like you, Joe, yeah. all of a sudden you shifted to that new topic, that area. Mm-hmm. And like, you didn't have to do the work anymore. It was yeah. easy. My son is signing up for classes on his own
0: wow. too
1: much. So where he'll sign up on a Saturday and we're like, Hey, we're leaving. We can't We're, going, <laughs> we're doing something. Or wait a minute. You just signed up for a class. You signed up for an 8 PM class. I want to go to bed. So okay. those are our problems right now. So wow. I literally found being a better parent was mm-hmm. when I just kind of let go, um, wow. but guided. Right. Them. So I don't know if that makes sense, but yeah,
0: it does. And I think your analogy with the sandbox was perfect because it gives, you know, the, the kids room to move, but also has the sand in case they fall down and they don't <laughs> hurt themselves they,
1: too bad. Right. that right? And out school is a beautiful thing. There's other things out there. I will tell you that we messed up so much. Mm-hmm. and we have so much of that programming already mm-hmm. and so while i'm happy we're in this spot oh god the stuff we've told them
0: mm-hmm. the the
1: programming they have from five years ago and we're unpacking it we're unlearning mm-hmm. it so i am you know regretful that we acted in a certain way when they were three and five just because that's what i knew mm-hmm. um and then stick with them you know it's, mm-hmm. uh, i think um saint thomas aquinas or the jesuits said you know give me a child up to the age of seven and i will I'll be able to, to teach them, to morph them. And I think they knew even before brain surgeons knew that your brain, the formative years, I think, are age seven. And then there's mm-hmm. another level at 14. Um, you know, we made a lot of mistakes. We programmed yeah. them, unfortunately, mm-hmm. in ways at the formative years that um, I wish we hadn't, but what what do we know but i am happy that we're we're rectifying things now and they're doing it so
0: yeah i really like what you're doing there and that's just that's just fascinating to me because you know we we talk about um the difference between simple complicated and complex problems and we're kind of programmed to be complicated thinkers, because there's always going to be a solution. And we take multiple choice questions. And we, you know, we do all these things all the way through school. And then when we face a problem that doesn't necessarily have a solution, we can only manage it. That's super complex. Now that's right. We start falling apart. You know, we start falling apart and, and you're, and you're instilling in your kids at an early age, because to me, they're they're looking at opportunities to find solutions or at least manage things on their own. Um, So early too, that I can only imagine what kind of great benefits will come from that.
1: It is, and I'm happy to thank you for that. That's mm-hmm. the goal. Uh, they still got a lot of issues interpersonally. You know, mm-hmm. we it, it's harder at home. So there's stuff mm-hmm. that that we're working on. Everyone's at their yeah. own pace. I think I just wrote that down: simple, complicated, complex problems. Mm-hmm. Um, there's some good matrix you're giving me here. I think the one thing I will tell everyone is that not to sound too dramatic, but I'll sound kind of dramatic. This sort of college education industrial complex to mm-hmm. to frame phrase. I rephrase Eisenhower a bit, like, I'm not saying college is going away tomorrow, but the need for it is, is shifting. And it may go away in the sense that if you're kind of neurotypical, you want college, you want the personal experience, you want the fun, you want the major, fine, it'll still be there, Mm -hmm. but you have something like Google careers grow with Google. Google is literally saying, if you trust them, if you feel good about them is literally saying for $300, $600, $1,000, $300, $600, dollars we will teach you at age 18, 2022, 20, how to not just be a lower level role, but a project manager, product manager, UX design, real jobs that right. real companies are hiring. Um, you think of online college, you think of people who aren't even going to college. So I love education. I am mm-hmm. not against, I love education. I'm, and my kids are learning every day. My point is, why do I have to go through kind of that beaten path? Right. Um, right. And nowadays, financially, you go through that beaten path. You get out yeah. with a BA. You are a hundred to three hundred yeah. grand in debt to go get a job that pays you forty grand. Right. I mean, I see this in law in the lawyers. I mean, they literally are paying off law school debt into their fifties. It doesn't financially make sense anymore.
0: Right. Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. And um. Yeah. And I'm just like you. I love education, but um, it doesn't have to be. And I love being a teacher, but you know. I'm not limited to teaching in a certain brick and mortar type uh, institution or whatever is teaching is teaching. Right. Yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. Uh, You know, I wanted to ask you also your, your process, With the unique genius, I mean, I feel like that transitions very well, all transitions also for transitioning veterans, because a lot of times, you know, when you're serving in the military for 20 to 30 years and you've all, that's all you've known. And I know more than a handful of veterans that they're like, after 20 years, like, I don't want to do anything that I was doing already (laughs) for the last 20 years. I want to do something different. I want to do something I love. And I think that your process works very well. Have
1: you considered working with veterans or have you already been working with veterans at all? Uh, I've worked with some who were lawyers, who, who were veterans. Mm-hmm. Let me just say this. Email me. You mm-hmm. have my info here. If you awesome. are a veteran and you need help understanding your transferable skills, my time is yours. That's just awesome. email me. We'll get on the phone. I can take you through the process. No charge. I'd love to help. Um, what I would say is this. You're the skills that you have in the military. Mm-hmm. And and I know there's not just one soldier archetype. I mean, you're doing a ton of things, but the skills that you have just from a, from a mindset standpoint, Mm -hmm. discipline, um, you know, loyalty, you guys work in 12 hour days is not an issue for you. I will tell you that when you come back into, the the civilian world, if if we call it that. It's literally I see this with lawyers who work really hard. It's literally like you just ran for 20 years with ankle weights on and you get to take them off. <laughs> hmm. I mean, it's like, really? People don't work. People are signing <laughs> off at 412. Like what's going on? So just from a mindset standpoint, which Joe, you know more than I do, but just that that discipline, that hmm. focus, that mindset, I know there's some negative elements to it, you know, hmm. the following the herd and and maybe right. anxiety and so on. But the positive elements of it, are so needed in, in the civilian world, in the corporate yeah. world, in the nonprofit world, just, just how you view the world. Second, the fact that you've been all over the world and that mm-hmm. you've seen so many cultures, seen so many things, or seen a lot of different people all over from America. I mean, that insight, that viewpoint, the stories that you could tell are huge. And then let's get right down to it. You're the skills that you have. The fact that you can—I mean, where do we start, right? The fact that you are process-oriented, you can deconstruct a machine. The fact that you can tell a story. The fact that you can present in front of uh, senior people with ice in your veins and get your story across. You know, the fact that you can um, get a complex situation and narrow down exactly what nuggets of data you need to go uh focus on i mean the fact that you're organized the fact Mm -hmm. that you understand a process the fact that you can have to look down the road and really be innovative and kind of what we call future cast connect the dots the fact that you can see i mean i could go on and on so as you go through the unique genius format when you kind of match your worldview. You then kind of match some subject matter expertise. Maybe you've you've been involved with computers. Maybe you've been involved building machines. Maybe whatever it is, and then you match the actual transferable skills you have, the things you've done day to day. Forget about it. I mean, there's LinkedIn's got over five million jobs posted. Within Leave Law Behind, we've identified over three hundred jobs that that could uh-huh. be a fit for attorneys. There are so many roles out there that pay good money that are manager, director, VP level. I just. <laughs> boggles my mind how much of a great fit it's just kind of doing those puzzle pieces from the different angles and seeing and seeing that fit
0: wow that that's awesome casey and how, how do people get a hold of you? um i know you said email website that you could share in case people are just more interested after they hear this episode
1: yeah that'd be great um love to chat so leave law behind um, com uh, Leave Law Behind. You can contact me, Casey, C-A-S-E-Y, at leavelawbehind.com. Uh, you can find me on LinkedIn. Joe and I are connected by Casey, C-A-S-E-Y, B-E-R-M-A-N, um, at, uh, on LinkedIn. And then I also am starting, uh, started CaseyBerman.com, where a lot of people who aren't lawyers professionals and so on have come to me and said, Hey, can you, can you help me in the same way we talked about today? So you can also find me at, at but find me either way. And, and I'll, I read all my emails. I'll get back to you ASAP.
0: That's awesome. And we're going to make sure we add all of that onto the show notes of this episode, Casey, man, I I just love what you're doing. I love your passion. And, and I heard, uh, I heard you on um, our friend Scott and Oleg's um, discussion and, you know, I was just like, man, So every time I talk to them and you're in there too, I feel like I'm leaving the earth in a good way. (laughs) You know, there's just so much great conversation that happens. And I I just, I'm so honored to have you on the Llama Lounge.
1: it's likewise. I'm I'm so happy to be here. Um, this was great. It flew by. I, I hope it was helpful. Um, and there's a lot to talk about. But I, I really want to say again, I'm really admire you for what you're starting, what what you started, what you're doing, and just just melding that that in the zone if you will, um, for for folks in the military who are in the zone, but also um, it's it's not something that you might also realize and talk about. I I just think it's great work that you're doing, and and you're just helping a ton of people.
0: Oh, thank you. Thank you. Um, so I can't let you go until I hit you what we call the leadership rapid fire, which are just four questions. Um, however you want to interpret the question, however you want to answer it. Sound good.
1: Let me get a little sip of water, but yeah, uh, sounds good.
0: All right. First question. What is your favorite leadership trait and
1: why? My favorite leadership trait. So I lived in Israel for a year and Obviously, there's soldiers. Everyone gets drafted at Mm -hmm. age 18. My friends Mm -hmm. got drafted. And, you know, one thing that I really liked about in Israel, and, and I'm not an expert on the military, but what I saw just anecdotally from my friends and what I what I read about was that there's a reason you can't really tell the general and the leader, platoon leader from you know, from the rank and file. Mm. And, um, obviously there's issues. People will push back. No, in Mm. Israel, I knew a general who didn't do this and didn't do that. They got their politics and they got all their own stuff, but what I really enjoyed, um, and what, what really, uh, um, Um, inspired me was they're all in it together. They're all Mm -hmm. on the front line. The, the platoon leader um, is with the rank and file. Mm -hmm. They're not behind at the rear giving, giving orders. And so for me, it was just, it was just leading by example. It was just being there. It was also kind of admitting, you know, I don't know everything. Like I'm, I'm going to be, I'm going to be doing this this with you. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to be just kind of shouting orders, being the the expert um, behind. And you know, Israel has is in a dangerous neighborhood, and mm-hmm. I think it's because of where they are that they they need to have it. But I'll never. I mean, this is 27 years later. I will never forget coming from America. I'll never forget how how really struck me um, as so different that the leaders within within the groups within the platoons um were really on the front line and right there with the ring and fawn had had you know th- their uniforms were sloppy mm-hmm. and it wasn't tailored they didn't <laughs> have all the medals you know yeah. um so that that really struck me as just a true trait of of leadership
0: that's awesome all right question number 2 what is your favorite quote
1: mm. yeah So my favorite quote is the one that came to me, believe it or not, I I don't know who said this, years ago, I think pre-kids, my wife and I were somewhere in Snapple, you know, the, the, the the drink which now has too, too much sugar for me. I don't drink it anymore, but I thought it was healthy back then, Yeah. but they used to have a little quote on the inside of the cap. And Mm -hmm. I will never, I remember I was, I was on hate street at a party Oh God, this is going way back, (laughs) but I was in San Francisco at someone's house. I took a sip of this bottle and I looked at the cap and it said, your life expands in relation to the amount of courage you have. Mm. Sorry, your life expands or contracts. Mm. Your life expands or contracts in relation to the amount of courage wow. that's in it. And it just, and if you go to David R. Hawkins, who mm. was, I encourage everyone, David R. Hawkins to, to read him, psychiatrist and MD, he has a scale of enlightenment and courage is really where you if you type in david r hawkins uh, spectrum you'll see what i mean but it's literally courage i learned this later in life is where you shift from kind of the emotions that detract and pull from you to the emotions that lead to enlightenment and neutrality and accept and just kind of that that zone that we talk about and so for me when i'm at a point where if my life is middling or if i'm just not feeling it I look at myself. I mean, I got to be accountable. Like, where am I not being courageous? Where am I not? Where am I being fearful? Where am I playing small?
0: Yeah. Wow. I love that. Yeah. I'm definitely going to be checking it out. That That's amazing. Thank you for sharing that one.
1: Yeah.
0: All right. Third question. What is a book that you would recommend to an aspiring leader or maybe an entrepreneur or or anything in the realm of your specialties?
1: A book. Yes. Um, so my business partner, Adam Olette wrote, wrote a book called Raising the Bar, which um, is a great story about the legal industry. So if you have any interest there, um, I would definitely you can find it on Amazon. Adam Olette is his name, um, O-U-E-L-L and, and Raising the Bar. You know, the other book. So, you know what I would recommend? I would also recommend a book called Sapiens, um, and it's by Professor Harari. He's a historian. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. and what he does is he pieces together he goes way back to the big bang Mm -hmm. to the common day it is it's like 400 pages you'll fly through it it's a phenomenal Mm -hmm. story but what it did for me is it really showed me why we humans are how we are Mm -hmm. um it goes to how culture and language helped homo homo sapiens overcome neanderthals like why aren't the neanderthals here like why Mm -hmm. is it us right and it helped understand the agriculture revolution it helped understand about how the economy in the 15 1600s moved from so he really lays out it was mind-blowing i don't know why this isn't taught in school Mm -hmm. and so as you see the history of it you Mm -hmm. realize why humans are the way we think and then it really showed to me Like you mentioned, Marcus Aurelius earlier, it really showed to me why a good when a when a leader is a good leader, he or she understands these things. He or she understands the anxieties and worries that we humans have had literally 10,000 years since the agricultural revolution or 70,000 years um, since we had more cognition. So I would recommend sapiens.
0: That's awesome. All right, I'll definitely make sure. I got about halfway through the audio on that one. Um, Yeah, it was great on that. Uh, Have you have you happened? Did you ever read the Social Leap by Von Hippel? Um, In the same realm, fantastic book as well, and um, a lot of the similar things from a different perspective. But yeah, the Social Leap, great book.
1: I just wrote it down. Yeah, that'll be Uh, my next one.
0: Awesome. All right. All right. So the final question, this is a deep question. Um, At the Lama Lounge, we're all about life, learning and leadership. So how do you find your harmony between life, learning and leadership?
1: Mm. Yeah, harmony. So for me, harmony I'll, we'll call it, uh, and I'm not a musician, so I won't come into it from a, from, a, even though I, I love music, I won't come to it from a musical standpoint. But if I think about it from, you know, harmony to, harmony to me is, is if we, as a lawyer, you have to define everything. What, what is it we're going to talk about, right? So harmony for me is alignment. Um, it's a level of peace. And not peace as in quiet and boring and just a grass field with a brook, you know, a stream and so on, but like really, even though that sounds great, but really um, just a level of confidence, a level of alignment, a level of connectedness, a level of I'm doing the right thing, a level of I'm okay, I'm good. It's OK. A level of just unfear, a, just not and everything that comes from it, anxiety, depression and so on. You know, there's this this notion. I think this is universal truth in my mind where um, and I heard this and I believe it, that there's really only two emotions in life. There's fear and love. And love isn't just a platonic, romantic love. It's collaboration. It's connectedness. It's support. All that. And fear is anxiety, depression, anger. You know, us versus them. All of that, right? Zero sum game. And so, for me, when I think about how I connect, how that harmony between life and and everything, is really understanding that I, I'll, I'll put it this way: that I am accountable for it. And one way where I disrupt that harmony is when I think I am my thoughts. When you think something, you're literally just talking to yourself, but in your mind. You know, if someone's uh-huh. blabbering on the street with their mouth, we go, ha ha, look at that guy talking to himself, he's crazy. But when we think our thoughts, we're just talking to ourselves, And most of our thoughts are not beneficial to us. They're uh-huh. not beneficial. Mm-hmm. I'm not enough. I mean, think about your thoughts right now, literally. Right. So when I find harmony is when I go and I say, oh, no, 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 no. I'm not my thoughts. Mm -hmm. i'm not my i'm observing my thoughts just like a cloud just like the car outside just like the garbage man just like the the mailbox when the mailman comes mailwoman comes and puts it in my thoughts are just a sound that i can observe sometimes you need to dive into your thoughts Mm because if you need to get some done you're thinking but being able to come out and this is what the sages have taught and being able to really realize i am not my thoughts because when i am in my thoughts it's I'm anxious. I mean, think about what you think about. So I find harmony when I really um, call BS on my thoughts.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I love that. And I think the first time I ever heard something similar to that was like uh, the the terrible roommate that I talked about a little bit earlier. Yeah. Uh, exactly. my, yeah Michael Singer's Untethered Soul. And that that's book. it. Yeah. Just amazing. Right. Just an amazing. amazing. Yeah, absolutely. Love that. Observer,
1: and that. the observer. I'm really happy you brought it up. Yeah. And I have that book. It's right over yeah. there. And yeah. uh, you're absolutely right. It's that roommate. So uh, I find harmony, to use your words, when I literally give the hand to the roommate.
0: Yeah, that's awesome, Casey, man, this is amazing. And I love this conversation. And, and I want to say it again, like guys like you, Scott Mason, Oleg Lowy, just thought leaders, you know, thought Aww. leaders. And and I love talking to you guys. And um, because it enlightens me every time and also reinvigorates me. And um, when, when I'm down, if I'm down a little bit, or whatever, frustrated, and I'm talking to one of you guys, I just, I'm just energized. So thank you. Uh,
1: you energize me, man. This is great. <laughs> these ideas are out there. Mm-hmm. You know, these ideas are out there. We all have our own interpretation. I'm learning and unlearning as we go. And, you know, thanks for the forum to yeah. to talk about it.
0: Absolutely. And we got to have you on again. We'll have another topic uh, that we can dive I'd deep into. Yeah. Appreciate it. Brother. That'd be great. No, I'm honored. Thank you. Thank you. And um, Hey, Thank you again, um, and I'm just honored that we're connected, and I'll reach out to you again soon, and I'll share some of those, um, some articles that kind of captures some of the things that you wrote down, like the simple, complicated complex. I'd love to share some of that stuff with you so you can dig deep. I would that.
1: love to. I got your, your strategy, operations, tactical, yeah, simple, yeah. complicated complex, yeah. and again, if anyone wants to contact me, I am happy to help. Reach out.
0: Awesome. Thank you, Casey, thank you. and thank you to thank all you. our listeners. As always, be safe, stay healthy, and llamas out. Thanks for tuning in to the Llama Lounge Podcast. Be sure to visit the homepage for links to products and services related to this episode. And don't forget to subscribe to the show on your podcast platform of choice. See you next time.